Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This week's episode of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. Tyler Ron, Sam Dykstra talking minor league baseball and uh, all things related to the kickoff of spring training with camps open across the landscape. And Sam's in New York. Hi, Sam. Hi, Tyler. How are you? I ran out of steam there at the end of that. Opening. No, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. You? Uh, things are good. Things are good. Good. Uh, yeah, it's been really fun this week to, to follow some of the videos coming down from the spring. I know... Th- that we've come a long way from the days in which like twit pics were a thing. Remember that? Yeah. Like, I promise yeah, when Twitter, you. you could not tweet from Twitter. You had to, there was like a different website that you had to get your pictures through before you could post them on Twitter. Right. And yeah. it was always blurry because the camera, you know, our phone cameras were not that good back then. And it was always, Hey, I have to prove to you that I'm at spring training. Right. So there's Mookie Betts out and outfield. Like, it, I don't know. It was probably even further back than Mookie Betts. But uh, the fact that now we all basically have HD cameras in our pockets at all times. And it's been really fun to follow even what seems like mundane stuff, like just watching live VP. Um, you know, there was a video today, I think, that uh, Martin Gallegos of MLB.com shared of Jesus Luzardo pitching to Sean Murphy. Um uh, that's pretty cool to me. Like, uh, it, it's very rare that we get to see these guys throw against each other. Uh, even if it's not much, it, it still, uh, you know, tickles my fancy a little bit and, and means we're really here and guys are actually working. It's it's not just, uh, you know, we promise that we're in the offseason and it's, and it's soon. We're actually seeing it. And games are starting, you know, as early as tomorrow or today by the time you guys hear this. Crazy stuff. We are uh, nearly fully underway in the start to the 2020 baseball season, and it has been uh, pretty uneventful last through a few months around the game of baseball, as I uh, as I understand it. Um, with all that, uh, we want to tell you before we dive into three strikes in this week's episode of the show before the show that coming up this season, more than 20 new minor league teams will join the minors Copa de la Diversión chase in 2020. MILB's Hispanic Fan Engagement Initiative, fresh off its second full season, celebrates the cultural contributions of Hispanic communities across over 90 minor league cities through culturally significant on-field identities in stadium accommodations and entertainment options and community impact. COPA celebrates a Hispanic community whose love for the game of baseball has driven the game forward. Visit MILB.com slash fan slash COPA or follow Minor League Baseball on social media at MILB to find out more about each identity and the initiative. Uh, we are getting ready to roll into... Uh, uh, our three strikes segment but if you want to get in touch with the show a couple weeks ago we put out a call for uh listener questions and we got a whole bunch of them which was awesome you can send in yours podcast at milb.com you can tweet at us as well uh sam is on twitter at sam dykstra milb i am at tyler mon and uh we'd be happy to do what we can to uh give you some insight what limited uh insight i have and the extensive ones that sam does ones i don't think you can pluralize insight anyway sam's smart is what i'm saying and uh you can get in touch with us and we will uh do our best to get to your questions thoughts comments and concerns and let's uh, kick off three strikes. We're talking three topics at the beginning of every episode. And this week, we get it rolling with uh, camps underway across the game of baseball. Sam, what are you uh, following more closely from team to team throughout the season? Which camps do you most have your eye on as spring training opens around the uh, the baseball world? 
Yeah, so I'll give you guys two, one from Arizona, one from Florida, uh, both if you are going to either destination uh, I recommend going to and trying to follow or even following from afar, whether it's our coverage or coverage of camps in general. Uh, I'll start in Arizona, which is sad because I won't be in Arizona. Tyler will. Tyler will have more to say from this actual camp, I hope, uh, in the weeks to come. But uh, that San Diego camp, I'm obviously going to be paying heavy attention to, not just because it's a very loaded farm system, um, but I really do wonder, coming off of last spring training, you know, we saw last year Fernando Tatis Jr. and Chris Paddock get called up immediately out of camp and the Padres get, get aggressive and try to push things with their good young talent. They have two guys who seemingly fit that same profile this year uh, in Mackenzie Gore and Luis Patino. Uh, now, there might not be the opening in the rotation that there was for Paddock last year, but Mackenzie Gore has the highest ceiling of any starting pitcher in that organization. Patino's right there behind him. Both guys finished last year at Double A, put up some pretty decent numbers at Double A. Gore was obviously our Milby starting pitcher of the year, uh, finished with an ERA below two, racked up strikeouts like almost nobody else uh, in all of minor league baseball. What you know, how are they going to handle these guys now? Are they going to continue to be aggressive or are they going to decide, you know, Gore and Patino don't have the same experience as Paddock and Tatis did? And there's, you know, some merit to that, I would say. Tatis had a lot of time at AA before he was called up. Paddock had a little bit more time than Patino and Gore did. But both guys pitched in the playoffs. They both played for a very good AA Amarillo team that won a Texas League title in its first year in existence. Um, so, you know, who are the Padres going to be? Looking at their roster right now, they made some interesting moves. I really like that they brought in Tommy Pham and Trent Grisham this offseason. Uh, how are they going to supplement those moves with what we know is really good talent at the minor league level? Uh, you know, are they going to be able to catch up to the Dodgers? Probably not. There's a lot of things that would have to change for that to happen. And the Dodgers just got arguably a top three player in baseball in Mookie Betts, uh, furthering themselves from anybody else in the NL West. But can they catch up to the D-backs maybe? maybe? Or are they going to try to win enough games to go for a wild card, uh, You know, whether that's the first or the second wild card? I mean, we know there are a lot of good teams in the NL East and that NL Central is pretty loaded as well. Uh, the Padres are going to have to make a lot of moves to make that happen Having Gore and Patino up, if they think their stuff is good enough, and you know, based on the reports that we've seen, their stuff is really good right now. Uh, that that could get the Padres a couple extra wins in the first half of the season that might prove absolutely crucial uh, for those wild card chases. So that's just something to keep an eye on. Uh, how Gore and Patino do in their starts? What? type of information are we hearing i know gore threw against manny machado the other day and seemed to look good in that instance i know it takes hitters a while to catch up to pitchers but if you're going to have your top pitching prospect go against arguably your best position player that's a sign of the confidence they already have in gore how long does that confidence go we'll see here in the coming weeks the other one uh for the florida-based team i'm actually hoping to go see myself uh, because uh, I will be in Florida in a couple weeks' time myself. But uh, this one is definitely one I had circled to go to, and that's Detroit Tigers camp in Lakeland. Uh, the Tigers, I don't. nobody's expecting them to be good. They're not trying to go for it in the way that the Padres are. Uh, but one thing to follow is, you know, what do they think they have in this group of arms that we've talked about a lot this year, and we're going to talk about them a little bit more in, in strike two. Uh, Casey Mize, Tarek Skubel, Matt Manning, all top 100 talents, all ranking right now in the top 50 of MLB.com's top 100. Uh, all finished last year at Double Eight Erie. That was a loaded Erie staff. They also featured Alex Fiedo and uh, Joey Wentz. I mean, it's very clear that it it's possible, I should say. It's not clear, but it's possible that – in a year and a half from now, we're talking about the Tigers having a fully homegrown rotation. Uh, and even that includes Matt Boyd, who, you know, we would need one of those five to drop out. Uh, they have plenty of options. Now, some of those guys just got to Erie at the end of last year. Matt Manning's probably going to open this year at Toledo. Mize had some injury issues after starting at Lakeland. Uh, finished the year at Erie, but are they going to send him back to Erie? We'll see how that goes. Uh, but what are they doing with, with this group? Is this group closer? Because if a lot of them open at AAA, I think by the halfway point of the season, we're going to have to seriously talk about Detroit bringing these guys up and giving them uh, a taste of the majors just so that they can have that base level. Uh, if they 
are talking about them as like, oh, yeah, they're still a year and a half away. Well, then uh, it might be another disappointing year on the farm in terms of just having to wait these guys out. So uh, pay attention to how much they're willing to ride these arms, uh, what they're saying about them and how close they could potentially be. Uh, because if they're opening a AAA and if everybody agrees that the future is a lot closer to Detroit than we thought, uh, that could be a very fun camp and a very fun future uh, for the Tigers whole system. Strike two this week. The farm system rankings continue on MILB.com, and we rolled through pitchers this week, including the top ten organizations. Uh, not really a surprise who comes in at number one, and a team that Sam just discussed is at number two. Sam, your biggest takeaways from the farm system rankings, the Padres finish number one. It seems like they have basically every top pitching prospect in baseball who's almost ready to graduate, uh, and the Detroit Tigers are right behind them. Yeah, no, this was actually very close for us, uh, one-two, in terms of you know who we wanted to go with at the number one spot. Um, I think the Tigers right now, you know, we just mentioned that group of five with Mize, Manning, Skubal, Fado, and Wentz. Uh, it it kind of trails off a little bit after that, but I am willing to give them credit for having guys who have performed at a relatively high level and certainly have that mix of both ceiling and performance. And I think that's really important for these rankings. But you look at what the Padres have, they're a little bit deeper. They have guys like Michel Baez, Adrian Morajon, who have already pitched in the majors. They're not top 100 guys now. They used to be, but just the fact that they have made the majors already gives them a leg up on the Tigers. I think Gore and Patino potentially have higher ceilings than Mize and Manning, at least as a combo, although that's a conversation we can talk about at some other point. They have some really hard throwers, Ronald Bolaños and Andres Munoz. Uh, they have some really good left-handers and Ryan Weathers and Joey Cantillo. It, you go on down the line, I think the the depth here for the Padres gives them the advantage over the Tigers, uh, although it's a very fascinating debate. We just give that to Padres group just a slight edge. We did the Los Angeles Dodgers at number three. Uh, they already had Dustin May and Josiah Gray. They add Brewster Gratterall to that mix, giving them three top 100 prospects. Tony Gonsolin, some people think of him as a top 100 prospect. He should be a factor in their rotation at some time this summer. Uh, that's a really good group. Tampa Bay Rays we have at number four. There are some question marks in that group. Uh, you know, Brent Honeywell Jr. has had a history of injuries. We haven't really seen him on on a mound regularly for two years now but joe ryan looked really good last year brendan mckay obviously looked great last year shane boz has been fantastic since coming over in a trade uh shane mcclanahan also pretty good uh as a former top pick you know yes they got rid of matthew libertor and it would have been a more interesting debate between the dodgers and rays at three if they still had libertor i think i may have given the rays the advantage there without him it's still a deep group um, but, you know, with a little bit more question marks than the Dodgers currently have. The Atlanta Braves at five. We've talked about that group a lot. Uh, a lot of it concentrated around AAA. They're going to have to sort out some discussions between Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson and Ian Anderson and Tucker Davidson and Kyle Muller. We can go on and on. Uh, not all of these guys are going to fit in their rotation. Are there going to be relievers? Are they going to start in the majors? Are they going to start at AAA? We'll have to see how that goes. Uh, but it tails off again after that AAA group uh, pretty well. So, Keep an eye on that, it, but once the, those top arms graduate, don't be surprised that this time next year to see the Braves maybe even outside the top 10 unless they make some other moves. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays coming in at number six. Nate Pearson, the highlight there. Guy's going to throw triple digits. We all know that. His slider is really good. Anytime I've talked to him, he loves to bring up his changeup and how far along that's come. That's really going to be the difference maker between whether he be becomes a frontline starter or a really really good reliever we'll see how that works out that's something to watch in camp uh simeon Wood, woods richardson who is actually our guest this week you probably already know that's the title title of the episode uh but the fact that he came on and snuck into the top 100 this year after a trade from the mets is certainly encouraging for this blue jays group uh yeah there's some downers here with eric pardino going on tommy john surgery uh but still we like the depth here alec manoa also very good as their first round pick last year uh oakland a's had to be in the top 10 somehow uh they only fall at this point because we really like jesus Luzardo and aj puck as we mentioned a bunch of times uh 
Dalton Jeffries, I, I'm a big fan of as well, even though he was limited a lot uh, coming off Tommy John surgery last year. But his control numbers are fantastic. They have a big three for sure. After the big three, we lose our enthusiasm. Um, so, again, when Puck and Luzardo inevitably graduate early on in 2020, this is going to be a group that falls. But for now, the A's are definitely in in the sunlight when it comes to uh, pitching depth and pitching talent, or at least major league pitching depth with the way Puck and Luzardo can help out that club. Baltimore Orioles headlined by Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall at number eight. Miami Marlins headlined by Sixto Sanchez and Edward Cabrera and some uh, recent first-rounders and Trevor Rogers and Braxton Garrett at number nine. And the Houston Astros at number 10, basically because of Forrest Whitley. We're still believers in him, and hopefully he can be – become a better pitcher this year after really struggling last year and coming on well at the end of the year in the Arizona Fall League. But also, Jose Urquidy uh, looks like a major league starter right now. He should slot into that rotation right away. We're going to give them credit for that, and that's what pushed the Astros into the top ten. So some really interesting mixes here in terms of ceiling and some other deeper systems. Uh, we definitely prefer groups that can combine those two things, uh, and that's how this snuck out. But Check out the story. Uh, we also have the rankings for 11 to 20 and then 21 to 30 in separate stories. Find your favorite group and see where they slot in among our favorite uh, pitching groups going into 2020. Strike three this week. Uh, the tool shed column that Sam puts up on the site all year is phenomenal for the 50-ish, however many weeks a year it actually runs. It's been fantastic this offseason. There have been some really, really awesome tool sheds. What's coming up uh, in the next one I know you're excited about? Yeah, no, so this one, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, the Major League Baseball announced some changes, some rule changes for the 2020 season, uh, you know, some of which you, you probably know well at, at this point, the three batter minimum for pitchers. Some people are excited about that, some aren't. Uh, but the ones that we're going to focus on for this tool shed are the expansion of rosters. Uh, it, we're going from a 25-man roster for the major leagues uh, in previous years to now a 26-man roster. And if it's a doubleheader, it's going to go to a 27-man roster. Uh, the problem with that is that there is going to be a maximum of 13 pitchers, uh, hopefully limiting how many pitching changes that, that can happen in a game. But one extra roster space could be the world for some of these prospects who are right on the edge and really competing for jobs this spring. So. This week's tool shed focuses on those prospects who are right on the edge, could be beneficiaries of the new 26-man roster rule. Uh, one thing I'll also point out is there's a new designation for two-way players. I talk about how you know there's a 13-pitcher maximum, uh, but two-way players don't have to count towards that. Now you be get you can get the two-way player designation by uh, let's see where, where is it. Uh, you, can, you have to start 20 games as a position player designated hitter or you have to throw 20 innings in the majors. Uh, so th some of these guys are going to be far away from doing that and it's going to be a big question. But, you know, it adds to their versatility and it makes them valuable roster pieces. I'm thinking about Brendan McKay. You know, at w the winter meetings this year, Kevin Cash wasn't willing to say Brendan McKay is only a pitcher right now. Now – his pitching stats are definitely better than his hitting stats. I think they should just give up and make him a full-time pitcher, make him into that role. But they've said we're still going to give it a try. Uh, they've moved him to more of a starting pitcher rhythm this spring and schedule. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. But if they can somehow get his bat to be major league ready, we know the Rays love roster versatility. Uh, being able to designate him as a two-way player, keep him on the roster, and still be able to use 13 pitchers is something the Rays should probably value, and I'm sure they will. Two other names to follow in that two-way designation potential is Jared Walsh, who hit a ton of home runs last year for AAA Salt Lake, was also a somewhat decent pitcher uh, in the Angels system, and Jake Cronenworth, who moved from the Padres – or from the Rays to the Padres, excuse me, in that Tommy Pham deal. He pitched a little bit at AAA Durham last year. Are the Padres going to continue to let him to do that? We'll, we'll see. But he did win an International League batting title last year. His bat is certainly Major League ready. Uh, if they allow him to pitch a little bit, that could help the Padres as well. Uh, some other names just to, to keep an eye on in terms of, you know, these guys could be the 26th man on the roster. Uh, I think Carter Keeboom is actually going to be helped by this rule in his quest to be the thir starting third baseman for the Washington Nationals. They signed guys like Howie Kendrick, Ezreal Cabrera, those two guys they brought back. They brought in Starling Castro. All three of those can move around the infield a lot, allowing Keeboom to stick at third. Um, you know, having other players – 
who have multiple position options and probably aren't going to be starters necessarily gives the Nats a little bit more freedom to get Kibum's bat in the, the lineup every day. Those guys are more of the 26-man players that we're talking about, allowing Kibum to be an everyday guy. I find that interesting. Anthony Alford and Jorge Mateo uh, probably could be specialists in the majors right now. Jorge Mateo, I believe, is out of options and is really up against it at the second base position for the A's, but he's a speedster. He's lum- he's somebody that they would love to have on their bench, bring in as a potential pinch runner, fill in at shortstop, second base, maybe even a little center field. We'll see how he figures into that. Anthony Alford in the Blue Jays system, he's still technically a prospect. The guy is very fast. He's a very good fielder. Many questions about the bat and if that can get him into an everyday lineup. But as a potential fifth outfielder for the Jays and pinch runner extraordinaire, defensive replacement, what have you, I think this 26-man roster rule only helps him. Uh, there are a couple other names I go through in the story, but for now, uh, I think this at this point, uh, looking at this 26-man roster rule, it's only going to help prospects in the immediate uh, or you know, in the very near future, we'll be talking more as we get closer to September when rosters are limited more in September. But what what that means then? But for right now, this is good news for prospects. And uh, one foul ball this week as we wrap up three strikes, and it is a big foul ball like Tony Lazari against Walter Johnson in the 26 World Series. Uh, if you can't tell that I'm watching Ken Burns baseball on Amazon Prime, um, <laughs> there was a statement released by Minor League Baseball this week. Uh, and it is a, uh, a big one for uh, minor leaguers headed into 2020, coming off of a statement released by Major League Baseball. Uh, it, it involves a plan to increase minor league baseball payer, uh, player pay starting with the 2021 season. And the statement goes as follows, quote, Minor League Baseball fully supports MLB's decision to raise the pay rates for players in affiliated minor league baseball. This is an important step as we seek to work together to improve working conditions for players without reducing the number of players and teams. Minor League Baseball believes MLB can afford these salary increases without reducing the number of players by 25%. We have provided MLB with a specific proposal on how we can work together to ensure improvements to older facilities and reduce travel between series through limited realignment. We look forward to continued good faith negotiations with our colleagues at MLB, and our principal goal remains to preserve Minor League Baseball in as many communities as possible. Um, There are some other elements to this, uh, including some reported by... Former MILB.com writer Jake Siner has done fantastic work on this uh, with the Associated Press. But, for example, the Chicago Cubs and the San Francisco Giants are not waiting for 2021 for these increases to go into effect for players and their systems. Uh, The Toronto Blue Jays already did this last year. It's not as though this is a a cutting-edge development. The Blue Jays, uh, I believe, added more than 50% of pay to their minor leaguers' salaries, um, or pay, I should say, uh, for uh, the 2019 season. Um, but Sam, your thoughts on this? Obviously, there's so much to discuss with this, um, and we only have a, a limited amount of time. But uh, thoughts on this this news? Yeah, so I think the big thing everybody should take away from this is that player wages are going up anywhere between 38 and 72 percent. Uh, you know, and, and obviously this has been a, a topic of discussion for a long time in minor league baseball. It's a solid step uh, towards getting minor leaguers, you know the pay that uh they deserve and and you know hopefully uh there are more steps to come and other clubs as you mentioned the blue jays in the past and the cubs and the giants uh voluntarily taking these steps not only helps the players that they have in their system but makes them more attractive as potential like minor league free agent destinations um which is will be fascinating to watch as other teams take these steps but what it really comes down to is this is about player development you want to have the players in your minor league system in the best possible place, uh, increasing their pay, making sure they're comfortable, making sure that they are in a good place to stay and getting the right nutrition only makes sense. And, uh, you know, the fact that this is announced and hopefully coming for 2021 or in some organizations even earlier than that is only good news. Uh, the, the statement that Tyler mentioned from minor league baseball about, you know, how this could potentially affect negotiations between major league baseball and minor league baseball uh, for the professional baseball agreement. We'll have to see how that kind of plays out. Um, Hopefully this is just an across the board increase and it doesn't affect those negotiations at all. Um, This is just about getting players their due raises as it were. Um, But yeah, it's, it's another piece in this big puzzle uh, that is going to be a big part of minor league baseball coming up this summer. 
And that is three strikes on this week's episode of the show before the show. Coming up, as Sam said a little while ago, baseball's 98th overall prospect and the sixth-ranked prospect in the Toronto Blue Jays organization. Simeon Woods Richardson will be our guest. Uh, He and Sam got a chance to catch up uh, a little while ago, and this is their conversation. On this week's edition of the Minor League Baseball Podcast, the show before the show, we're very happy to be joined by MLB.com's number 98 overall prospect and Blue Jays right-hander, Simeon Woods-Richardson. Simeon, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on the podcast, man. I really love to do this. Yeah, no, this is great. And, and you know, this is a fun time to get, guys. Obviously, we were just talking off mic. Uh, you just arrived in Dunedin uh, last weekend. Uh, what have these first couple days been like as you're getting yourself ready for, obviously, the 2020 season, but also mm-hmm. just getting into the rhythm of, of being around, you know, Toronto players again? Well, the, first of all, the complex and the guys in the organization is just amazing. It makes every day better. Um, you, you have something to look forward to. All the guys are really good to get, get around. I mean, the coaching, the staff is unbelievable. Like, you just have a great time at the complex, man. You get your stuff done, and then you know, the rest of the day, do whatever you want, you know? Hmm. Yeah, and, and where are you right now in your progression in getting ready? I mean, it hasn't even been a week yet. Uh, what are you doing in your workouts? Uh We've been working out lately. I've already had about my bullpen. Uh, guys are throwing bullpens, live bullpens. We're, we have guys doing PFPs. Like, we're getting ready for season because we expect big things coming up. Hmm. Yeah, and, and when you do those bullpens at this early stage, what are you particularly focusing on? Well, for me, you know, just knocking off the rust, getting back into the routine and getting back to find my routine and making sure every single one of my pitches are good, you know. Um, just getting the swing of things, feeling my body, feeling balanced, you know. Just all those, like, working on my curveball, like, working on every type of, like, off-speed pitches you could think of, you know, just just getting everything ready for season so we can get going. Mm. Yeah, and when you talk about especially those breaking pitches, how do you kind of establish what is good? Because if it's just bullpens, you're not going up against hitters. I know there's a lot of tech involved now. Uh, how do you feel comfortable or when do you know your breaking pitches are where you want them to be? Well, with the Blue Jays, like, they have all the equipment you need to know. You have, like, your rap sodos and all the analytical side that can really help you and actually, like, mold your pitches together how you want them, you know. Uh, so that actually helps us a lot. They give us feedback, and we kind of take those tools and we kind of run with it, you know. we They give us information, we just run with it and see how good we can do it, you know. And what's an example of something that Rap Soto has given you that you've implemented okay. in your game. Yeah. So, like, a couple of days ago on Tuesday, I had a bullpen, and we sat down actually today and had a meeting over mechanic stuff and just pitch sequencing and just, like, just just, just allowing and, like, seeing telling pitches and just working on little things can help us for the season. Right now, we're just – we all have stuff. It's just how can we make it to our benefit and how can we use it later on in the season, you know? And to get ready for this moment, you had to go through an offseason, your second offseason after being drafted in 2018. Obviously, this one is a little bit different from last year. Last year, you were a New York Met, now you're a Toronto Blue Jay. How did that change yeah, having a, a new different. organization guiding your offseason? I mean, change is fine. We have to adapt to change. Um, yeah, the news was kind of a whirlwind at the time, but that's one thing about this game is you have to adapt to change, and that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned. And with this organization, with this team, I see a bright future with the guys that we have, a bunch of prospects that we have. And we're going to be really good this year. So I'm actually looking forward to this season. Hmm. Yeah, and, and what's something you did differently this offseason maybe that the Jays gave you or was a different implement, uh, a different area of focus uh, than you had when you were a Met? Yeah, it was just, just like – like you said, like different area of focus. Like I'm focusing on mechanics and little stuff, not big things, just little stuff. You know, it's, it's the little, the little details that matter that I've always told in my life. So all the little details that get you where you need to be. That's, that's what we focus on. And that's probably the biggest thing that's helped me as a ball player and help guys as a ball player. Yeah, and we kind of touched on it a little bit, and you said, you know, it's all about adapting to change. But take us back to that trade. You find out you're moving along with Anthony Kay to 
the, the Toronto Blue Jays for Marcus Stroman, a pretty big deal at the time and one that I think surprised a lot of people at the time as well. Uh, what was it like going through that in the midst of what was still your first full season? <laughs> yeah, it was it was a whirlwind, like I said. You know, everything was moving at a thousand miles per hour in a matter of seconds, you know. Um, luckily, my parents were with me through that moment, and we, we did it together. And right now, we're all settled in. We're with the Blue Jays, and we're settled in. And we're ready to get – we're going for spring training. We're ready to go. And, and what were those – first couple of days like because not only did you move organizations you also mm-hmm. moved up a level mm-hmm. Jay sent you you yeah. were at class a columbia you moved up to high a Dunedin. what was that adjustment like at the same time it was fun actually i i enjoyed the the moving around and the bumping up the levels and stuff it was enjoyable it was fun you know a new new team new set of guys new personalities you know get a fill around the locker room, get a fill around just as guys, individuals, like to connect with you. You have to find like really good friends and really good brothers to have on that team chemistry, which is really, really perfect for us. And that's probably the biggest thing that I can actually say is that team chemistry, as soon as I stepped foot into the locker room, it was already there. Hmm. What, what was like, something they the did? One thing we do pride ourselves. Yeah. What was something they, they did to welcome being you welcome, being open. Yeah. Just welcome, being open, like allowing me to, help the team and like they play behind me and we understood that and it was almost like a brotherhood for us now mm-hmm. and it helps to have a couple guys from the houston area like casey clements you have adam clausenstein you have jordan groschen guys i played with uh growing up with and now we're on the same team you know and it's it's crazy to see but it makes it makes living in the baseball life a little bit easier knowing you have people from back home and even the new guys i've met new guys and i've we're really really good friends now like it's it's crazy how good the team chemistry between us are. Yeah, and it's interesting that you talk about Groshans and Kloffenstein. I know those guys knew each other very well. I think they might have been teammates in high school. Um, what kind of heads yeah. up did they give you guys about, or give you specifically about, you know, transitioning to uh, the Toronto system? Well, luckily, me, Jordan, Adam all played against each other since we were like seven years old. So I knew them for a while. So just going there was like, hey, how's the organization? Like, how's it feel for the guys, the staff as a whole? He was like, man, you're going to love it here. That's the only thing he says, man, you're going to love it here. Just wait. And once I stepped foot to Dunedin and the locker room, and you're absolutely right, I loved it. Hmm. And what's a a way your game took off differently? I know you talked about focusing on little things, but uh, your numbers at Dunedin were actually in some ways better than they were at Columbia. Uh, What were the Jays doing with you those final couple weeks? Uh, I just got really probably one piece of good advice is from the pitching coach named Cy. And he was like, hey, man, just put up zeros. Just put up zero. That's your main focus, putting up zeros on the scoreboard. And once that clicked, I felt I felt comfortable. I felt in a rhythm. Like, everything was just moving along a whole lot faster and nicer and smoother. Um, that's probably the biggest thing he said, put zeros on the scoreboard. And I had a mentality every game I pitched. And numbers, numbers don't lie, I guess, mm. if you put your hard work into it. Yeah, and what was your kind of philosophy before that? Why? What did that just switch in terms of, hey, don't worry about the other stuff, just get zero after zero. What did that unlock that you weren't doing di- uh, or were doing differently before that? I mean, it unlocks everything. It lo- unlocks every aspect of the game, man. You get first pitch swings, you get double plays, you get balls hit, you get, like, pitch count. Like, it helps so much because early in the year I was so – focus on being pitch perfect and try to execute every pitch and how I want it and this and that. Yes. Like it's great to have that, but it's also great to know you have a great group of guys behind you to lay out for you. Hmm. Cool. And uh, one thing that I wanted to touch on, cause I think this really surprised me watching your season last year, you only walked 24 guys in 106 and two thirds innings between Columbia and Dunedin. Normally pitchers in their first full seasons, especially ones at your size at six foot three, we're talking about, the control and the command is is touchy, but they'll grow into that. You already have this base of really good control. Where does that come from? Um, just honestly, it's God-given. You know, hard work is always there, but it's honestly God-given. Uh, you all praise to him. But, um, but honestly, just have that mentality of, like, hey, like it's going to be great. It's going to be good. Like, you're going to do what you're supposed to do. Just at the end of the day, have zeros. And that's kind of where it came from. Um, 
it's actually a, like back in the past there's actually a whole lot of stuff that people contribute to like my old ex-pitching coach for high school like he played played a huge role he did everything it's also was a that's also i give credit to and pitching coaches and staff hmm. yeah but what kind of philosophy did they help you to develop because i think you know it's easy to say hey just throw it in the zone but to throw it in the zone with your stuff and to get the level of swings and misses mm-hmm. we're getting is obviously a difficult needle to thread. What was your philosophy that allowed you to get the strikeouts and limit the walks at the same time? Well, my biggest pet peeve is walks. So, like, I pride myself on not walking people. So that's probably the biggest thing I pride myself so much on is not walking people and throwing strikes and pounding the zone. And that's the biggest thing is people always told me to attack the strike zone, use my athleticism towards what I do, and that's what I've been doing, just taking a run with it. Hmm. And uh, take me through again to that time in July. You know, the Jays pick you up. I feel like when you were mm-hmm. a good draft prospect, like you were a lot of teams I'm sure were talking to you, especially being around that Houston area, a lot of scouts in, in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what did the Jays originally say about what they liked about you and what they were hoping to add to the organization by bringing you over in that trade? Um, the Jays really loved I was athletic. Actually, the Jays were going to draft me back when I was going through the draft process, and the Mets picked me up sooner, but the, I've heard the Jays were going to pick me up. So it's kind of funny how everything ends up how it's supposed to be, and I, I love that. So that's kind of – they also just love my athleticism, love that power of the zone, love that I'm – a human being, I'm okay to show my emotions on the field and off the field as a person, like just having fun, you know, being a kid. That's probably the biggest thing is personality-wise. So, hmm. Yeah, and, and that's interesting that you talk about that. I feel like that's such a big topic in the game now is showing that you're having fun, exhibiting that emotion. How does that come out in the game for you as a pitcher? Um Onto that field, it's just a different mindset. Um, like what I, my mom always told me, I had two sides of me every time I step on the field. On the field, like I'm very intense, really into it, very high pace, very high tempo. And in the dugout, I'm, I'm locked in, having fun. So it's like it's all it's all laughs and giggles until it's time to go to work, and then we're ready to go. Hmm. Cool. And uh, yeah, as we look forward. You know, to this spring, as you're getting comfortable in in spring training camp, uh, how much does it kind of help to have gone through this before in Dunedin? Just from the human aspect of it, you're somebody trying to get used to a new camp. At least you've been to this area mm-hmm. before. Uh, how much does that help this transition as you go through your second spring training? Oh, it helps a lot because you already know some of the guys that you played with, and it just makes it more family based. You know, like we're all a brotherhood, and that's what we're trying to accomplish. We want to succeed together. You know. So having that and just pushing each other every day in the locker room, in the gym, on the field, and just having fun. Like we're all, we all laugh, we all get along. So it's it's fun working with people that then want to do the same thing and push as hard as you do. Hmm. And uh, yeah, so now as we go forward and look forward at 2020, like I said, you are number 98 overall prospect now. Uh, according to MLB.com, you popped up on a couple other top 100 lists. A lot of people see you as a top three prospect now in that J system. How does it feel to get the recognition now after this first full season and, and put in the work? A team goes out and gets you. Outside sources are looking at you. How do you feel differently as a prospect compared to the same time 12 months ago? I mean, it's lovely. I, I love seeing recognition I've been putting in the game, but at the end of the day, it's like I keep my head down and stay focused, you know? Like, I can't. You can't get wrapped up in all social media and lists and prospect numbers and this. At the end of the day, your stats to your stats. You can't do that without you. You know, so you got to be on the field. Hmm. And uh, yeah, again, go going back to that draft process. I think that was interesting that you said the Jays were kind of interested in you and maybe they were going to take you. Uh, you were somebody who popped up a lot. But one aspect I'm interested in is that you were 17. You didn't turn 18 until September yeah. that year. Uh, obviously, you don't know any different, but what was it like just going through the draft, knowing you were one of the youngest guys in in that class, and trying to prove yourself when you still had a couple months behind some of these other guys, at least developmentally? 
it didn't phase me at all because I was always playing older, older people when I was younger. I've always playing up and always being the little brother, but the big kid in the locker room, you know? So having that, always playing older against other people and just having mentors in my life, it kind of prepared me. I was already ready for it, you know? I was ready to step in the world of baseball and succeed in my career, you know, and just start working hard. But, but yeah, like I was maturely ready for it. So my, my parents were there, I was ready for it. And it was this is a decision that I should say, pursue this, and that's what we're doing. And as you look forward to 2020 here, uh, how are you going to define what is a successful uh, 2020 season? What are some markers you have, or when you look forward at, you know, if we jump forward <laughs> to October, how would you look back and define what is a successful season? Successful, successful season for me would be having every pitch, having every field comfortable, you know. I'm executing every pitch when I need to get out of situations, making big-time pitches in big-time situations. The biggest thing for me is always staying ahead of the count. And if I am behind the count, how do I work from it, you know? Um, of course, strikeouts are nice, but pitch count, let's see if I can, you know, let's see if I can maneuver my way around without throwing 80 pitches and, a couple of innings, you know. Let's let's keep that pitch number down. Let's let's be efficient. Hmm. And when you bring up something like that, pitch count, you know, sometimes I talk to guys about what their goals are. Sometimes they say they they're healthy. Sometimes it's like this amount of starts. For you to bring up pitch count is interesting because what when you get your numbers back, when I know a lot of teams hand out sheets and we mentioned Rap Soto stuff before, what are the first numbers you look at or stats you look at to define success? Um, uh, first pitch strikes for me, I love to attack the zone. Um, how many hits were given up? Like how many true hits were giving up? Um, walks another thing for me, cause I have a big type people walks. And of course I'll check the strikeout at the very end of when I wrap up. But other than that, that's why I mainly look at first pitch, first pitch strikes. I mean, that's a, as good a uh, spot to start as any, obviously. Uh, and in terms of stuff, yeah. when you're looking forward to what is the next step for you, uh, a lot of scouting reports say your fastball is a plus pitch, your slider and curveball are both above average. It's the changeup that needs to come next to lock in that starting status for you as you climb the ladder towards Toronto. Uh, but in terms of your own stuff, what have you identified to take the next step here in 2020? Well, People have been saying, yes, my changeup needs work. Yes, like everything. But to me, my changeup has been my best friend ever since ever since uh, mid-season when I was with the Mets. I found it then. And when I got when I transferred and got traded to the Blue Jays, I found it and it clicked. And I threw it a whole lot more. And I, got, I felt more comfortable with it. And that just added another piss to my arsenal. So now we're going to have some fun. We're going to have some fun <laughs> this season. What, what did you unlock in it? What were you doing differently? Or what kind of action were you getting? Uh, out of that changeup that that looked better in the second half. No, I just nothing. It was just trust. The biggest thing it was just trust. It was all mental. It just had a mental block. Like, and once I cleared that and just felt comfortable throwing it, I'm I'm good now. Hmm. Well, I think that's exciting for a lot of Toronto fans. Uh, speaking of Toronto, we'll end on this note, uh, Simeon. Now mm -hmm. that you are a Toronto Blue Jays prospect, you're going to have to lo know a little bit more about Canadian culture. Hopefully, you'll make a home there someday. I, I've, um, yeah, I've heard. Like, I've heard. I've always wanted to be. I've never been. I've always wanted to. I've always heard great things about it. The people are amazing. The sites are amazing. Um, I've heard everything about it. I need to go try those dress chips first of all. Personally, <laughs> I need to go try that because that's what everybody's been talking to me about with those dress chips. So I definitely need to go try those out. Yeah, that was going to be part of my question is, like, what is the education they give you about potentially moving to a new country? I mean, Canada's not that different, but they have dress chips, they have ketchup chips, they've got poutine, they've got so many different things. Uh, how much do they yeah, tell you I mean, about Yeah, so much. When I first got traded, they, me and Kay went on Twitter. Me and Andy Kay went on Twitter, and they just educated us over everything <laughs> uh, about beautiful sites, like the food, the places to go, like they educated on so much stuff. And so, yeah, the poutine, I need to go try that. I really want to try that. 
I heard like sorry, it's sorry about it. It's not really a sorry about it. It's sorry about it. Um, I was up trying to get the lingo too, you know, I'm trying to study over here. I mean, that sounds as good a Canadian accent as I could possibly do. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how it takes over when you go. All right. But what's the first thing you're going to well, do? Let's say Toronto calls you up at first, some point. First thing you're doing north of the border. Okay. Uh, first thing I'm going to do is go see, go see the field because I really want to go see the field. I've never seen the field before. Um, and I should just take a picture on the field with my parents, actually. That's probably the first thing I want to do. Man, I, I think that's the best thing any first-time major leaguer could do and any first-time major league parents could do. That's that's really cool. Well, Simeon, thank you so yeah. much for joining us. Uh, enjoy the first couple of days down there in Dunedin and as you prep for a big 2020 season. I'm sure we'll be in touch down the line. Thanks for coming on with us. Thank you. No problem. Thank you for having me, man. Opening day keeps getting closer and closer, and Benjamin Hill is here for uh, a few stories related to what we're going to see on fields around the minor leagues this season. We're getting into such reality. There's always like that abstract, like, ah, the promo schedule is here, and then it's like this date is actually going to look like this, and now you got a a new story on the the Jacksonville promo schedule we're going to get to in a minute. Hi, Ben. How are you? Hey, I'm doing all right, Tyler, and sitting next to uh, Sam Dykstra on my left. What's uh, what's the coffee situation for Sam like today? We're doing it in the afternoon, so yeah. There's no coffee. Okay. We have shamed him to the point where he no longer <laughs> will drink coffee while he's recording my segment, and I apologize. I'm really not here to propagate feelings of shame. In fact, I'm existing even outside of my professional uh, capacity to for us to feel less shame and to embrace our true selves and our true beliefs um, as publicly as possible. Because opening day is closer, but that means you know, our deaths are closer too. So we really need, while there's still time, to uh, you know embrace what we love. And in Sam Dykstra's case, that is Dunkin' Donuts coffee. And I'm sorry you felt shame. Yeah, I'm bringing in one with six milks and six sugars tomorrow. Um, based so off that speech. The other day, I was watching uh, McMillions on HBO, this new documentary out. Uh, have you guys heard of or seen this? Uh, I've seen the ads for it. Uh, okay. and it. And every time I've seen an ad, it makes me think that Monopoly is back. At McDonald's, and I get upset. So. <laughs> it is not, and the reason why it is not is uh, evidently that whole thing was just rigged the entire time it existed, and that's what this documentary series is about. Really good series. It's really interesting. There are only three episodes in right now, but last episode, which aired on Monday, they showed these uh, these two characters, this husband and wife, who were related to one of the guys who was scamming the whole thing, and they were in a, I believe it was a Dunkin' Donuts drive through <clears throat> getting coffee. The husband ordered their coffees with, and I am not making this up, 10 creams and five sugars or equals each. Ten creams and five sugars or e- Why even bother putting coffee in there? Why not just drink milk and sugar like Michael Scott? That's horrible. Those people should be in prison for that. I'm glad that's what your takeaway was. Uh, it's like people scamming old, McDonald's. It's all, not, these, not, people got, these people's livelihoods got ruined by this whole scam. And I'm like, look at the way these guys are ordering coffee. Nut jobs. <laughs> I don't think they should feel shame for the way they ordered the yeah. coffee. <laughs> you can't flip on, on that now, Ben. You just had this long speech about that's how we're true. all hurtling towards death. True. You can't. That's a fair point. Yeah. Also, that's why, that's why Ben and I could never do a podcast, just the two of us, because every episode would just be like, God, we're even closer to death. It would just be us discussing our own mortality. It would get heavy without Sam to keep things light. Uh, yeah. That's what I am. That's Sam's good at uh, the the deep conversations uh, when they are called for, whereas I just am like, oh man, I'm thinking about the fact that I'm going to die all the time. That's my, it's one of my many issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're black coffee. Sam's lighter than 10 creams. And together, <laughs> together you make the perfect cup. We do! Oh, I like that. That's a perfect segue. Um, let's get into actual things. Uh, <laughs> we're going to kick it off as uh, Ben continues his multi-part series detailing the evolution of the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimps 2020 promotion schedule. Uh, and this week, there's, uh, there's a really cool thing on uh, June 5th, the uh, AA affiliate of the Miami Marlins. They will be staging an all-encompassing celebration, according to Ben, of uh, the Little Tykes Cozy Coupe, which is that little car that kids roll around in. It's got the yellow roof and the red bottom and the little steering wheel. My niece and nephew were in town up until this morning. I know they've got one at home. I had one when I was a kid. Um, this is evidently the best-selling car of all time, according to promotions director David Ratz of the Jacksonville 
Jumbo Shrimp. This is cool. We, we're in such an era where people with minor league teams are honoring some really creative things that I would never think of. Yeah, this article is um, you know the reading. I'm the reason I'm writing about this specifically right now is this article is the third in a series that I've been doing throughout the off season. You know about the evolution of the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp promo schedule. Uh, you know, kind of every month or two, checking in and and writing about how it progresses. And in part two, which ran in uh, earlier January, I was talking to David Ratz, the promotions director, and he said, you know, he made. You know, cryptic remarks about what he felt would be his team's, you know, top theme night promo or one of the most original. And as we've made many said many times here on the podcast and talking about promotions, you know, teams want to do something original. They really want to be first in doing something. And uh, he actually got in touch with me and said, hey, man, when do you want to do this next segment? Because I want to get this promotion out there before another team does it. Because what happened is he had this idea to celebrate Little Tykes, the cozy coop. And when he first said the Cozy Coop, I was like, what is that? I had to Google it. And then you see it, and you're like, oh, it's that, that toddler car that, uh, with the iconic uh, red body and yellow, uh, yellow top. So you know, he just had this idea, and, you know, and he told me you – know, he's quoting the story saying something this degree. You know, there's three ways that a promo like this can go, and if you work in minor league baseball, you know those three ways. Um, you know, one is you get in touch with the company. You're trying to get them on board to make it official, and they say, no, not happening. You know, here's a C and D which stands for cease and desist. And that happens, I think, quite a bit in minor league baseball uh, where the the licensing, copywriting, what what have you, is not approved. And then, as you often see, teams – find their ways to skirt around those issues without you know maybe making explicit references so you can just be told no you can be told yes but hey just knock yourself out we're not going to help you or three and best case scenario the you know the thing you're looking to celebrate the entity you're looking to celebrate says yeah and how can we help you so as it turned out little tykes was really on board for this and uh, they're throwing some of their weight behind it and they said hey we kind of want to take this idea elsewhere so that's what led uh, David Ratz of the J- uh, Jumbo Shrimp to get in touch with me and say, hey, we're doing this series on these promos. I want to get this one out there before another team announces it because, you know, you know how that goes in, in your own professional lives or just anyone listening in your life. If you have an idea, you kind of want to get the credit for it. You know, you don't want to see some other team say, look at this, you know, cozy coop promo we're doing. And then the one who had the idea being like, that was my idea. Now they're going to get all the credit because they announced it first. So um, I said, hey, man, yeah, let's do the next segment and talk about what you think will be your premier theme night celebrating the cozy coop so um you know they they partner with and it's typical minor league baseball not doing a theme jersey per se but uh, it's on a friday night and every friday night the jumbo shrimp wear red bold city jerseys bold city being a nickname for jacksonville so they already wear red jerseys uh, on Fridays when this Cozy Coop promo is taking place. And so to complement it on this one night, they also got approved uh, special yellow hats. So the players on the field will resemble the Cozy Coop by wearing a red jersey and a yellow cap. Uh, so I think that's kind of a cool aspect. It's not a theme jersey per se uh, tied into the promotion, but you know to have the players on the field looking like Cozy Coops, uh, they partner with a local golf cart company uh, who's going to you know customize a golf cart to look like a street legal uh, you know, cozy coops. So that'll be a giveaway, and of course, all the between inning contests you can think of. Um, you know, how many people can fit in a cozy coop, or actually, maybe more realistically, can you, an adult human, fit in a, <laughs> in a cozy coop? Probably not. Um, you know, races, that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, I wrote about that, how it came about, what the process was so far, and I'll probably check in with the Jumbo Shrimp at least one more time before uh, opening day to kind of talk about their promo schedule uh, writ large because they have a good one and uh, I do hopefully other people find this interesting just uh, you know checking in with one team as a way to kind of show how the offseason progresses in putting together uh, a promo schedule because once opening day hits um, you know you have to be as close to plug in and play as possible with your promos of course you're always going to be running around filling in you know a lot of small details that never really ends but um, you know all the the legwork really has to be done during the offseason, which is one of many reasons why the offseason is still a very busy time in minor league baseball. You know, might not be working 16-hour games over a 10-game homestand, but there is still a lot of work to get done. And uh, anyone who works in baseball can tell you their version of 
here's why the offseason is maybe not as dead as you, a non-baseball person, might think. And uh, in the world of promos, this is the kind of stuff going on. Yeah, and, and before we transition to the next thing uh, you know, that we want to talk about that you wrote this week, I'll just ask the question that I think a lot of people are sitting at home asking themselves, which is, why? And I'll expand on that to be like, why Jacksonville? Was this just because this was their idea? This isn't... You know the 50th anniversary of the the crazy coop it's or the cozy coop rather uh it's not a jacksonville based company it's just something we all know is that all this this is yeah it's brainstorming you know i think people uh you know promo directors and their staff and just people throughout minor league baseball all season are just kind of riffing all the time on uh you know what is something that people recognize and they will appreciate seeing celebrated a ballpark and i asked uh david rats that i said so what's the deal with this? And you have one of these grown up and, you know, he doesn't have kids. And he's like, no, but I was just thinking. And, uh, you know, my I've got, um, you know, his uh, his nieces, you know, had them and he sees them, you know, just in yards around town or what have you. And it was just one of those things that popped into his mind like, huh, that's something you never really think about explicitly, but it's iconic and everyone knows what they are. And so it is, yes, random, but so many things are random, uh, you know, in life and, of course, in minor league baseball promotions. But, you know, he made the point of, you know, this is our core demographic, kids and also young family, you know, young families with young kids. And, of course, that is the same demographic of Little Tykes who makes, uh, you know, Cozy Coop. So I think they see a very strong portion of an overlapping demographic in terms of the people, uh, you know, who might be in the market for a Cozy Coop and the people who might uh, be in the market to take their family to a minor league baseball game. Let's continue the uh, promo conversation, the uh, minor league season getting closer and closer, and some teams coming out with uh, some organizational promo schedules that are full of a little bit more out there kind of stuff than uh, the regular uh, garden variety promo schedule. The Fredericksburg Nationals are a new team-ish Moving from Fitzner Stadium, where they were the Potomac Nationals, to Fredericksburg, where they are now the Fred Nats, um, they've got a lot of very out there stuff. Uh, and they released this in the age of Twitter, uh, 69 days ahead of opening day. Nice. And uh, the 2020 promo schedule includes 11 weekend homestands with things such as, uh, obviously, the the normals with Thirsty Thursdays. And uh, Tuesday will be $2 Tuesdays. But they're also going to do a, a Y2K weekend. They're having XFL night. They are capitalizing on the uh, the biggest meme of, I don't know, like 2011, oh, 2016. Man, didn't realize it was that recently. Uh, with a, a Harambe night. Remember Harambe, the gorilla, who was killed at the Cincinnati Zoo in 2016? Uh, there's a lot going on in Fredericksburg stuff. Yeah, you know, I was talking to uh, Sam Miller today, kind of like, hey, what are we talking about on the podcast? And, you know, we said, hey, we, we should try to, you know, independent of any articles I may have written, let's just choose like a, a recently released uh you know, promo schedule, highlight one team, mention something interesting. And, you know, as we've talked about many times on the podcast during the offseason, uh, the Fredericksburg Nationals, that's one of four teams moving into a new ballpark in 2020. And often when you have teams in new ballparks, uh, the promo schedules are usually not too creative or fleshed out because there's so much else going on in terms of getting things ready at a new ballpark that often, the you know, first-year promo schedules at new ballparks are, you know, they're going to draw well anyway, just having the new park. You're, of course, going to fireworks nights and you know all the traditional stuff but you usually don't see the goofy stuff and Fredericksburg you know they used to be uh, the Potomac Nationals they played at Fitzner Stadium we've talked about that ballpark uh, but definitely uh, one of the worst in minor league baseball in, in a lot of ways just operationally and the team kind of tried to counteract that by doing a lot of crazy goofy things especially bobbleheads uh, over the years and I was surprised to see even with this move to a new ballpark, they're still keeping this kind of irreverent, uh, more raw uh, minor league baseball entry, uh, energy, and I applaud that. But yeah, Tyler, like you mentioned, uh, the uh, the Harambe night is uh, precipitated by. Uh, you can argue whether or not this is in good taste, but what would have been his 21st birthday? So they're giving away a Harambe beer stein to celebrate this gorilla <laughs> being of legal drinking, drinking age, age if he oh, hadn't geez. been shot down, down at the zoo man you know sometimes when you talk about things i like, got loud you're like what is going on here? <laughs> um yeah but i do kind of love that you know they're still going for it with that kind of energy another one that they've not provided details on yet uh but of course 
you know, I think uh, it ties into conversations we've had and certainly a lot of internal conversations in minor league baseball front offices and, you know, how difficult it can things uh, it can be with rebranding and fan reaction. But the uh, Fredericksburg Nationals, you know, who are the Potomac Nationals, uh, you know, they rebranded in the sense that they're moving to a new place and they changed their logos, but they kept the Nationals name. And that's the most boring type of name in the minor league baseball uh, you know, universe, just to have your parent club name. So uh, they're riffing on that Saturday, August 8th. They are staging Not Original Night. Following all the criticism the team received for their name selection, the Fred Nats are ready to showcase just how original and unique they can be. So that's kind of like a, you know, there's a little bit of an edge with that. They're going to have fun. You know, I'm sure they're not going to be insulting to anyone and criticize them, but they're saying like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we're going to show you. Uh, that'll be We'll have to remember that early August because I want to see exactly how original they can be with the name Fred Nats and what what that's going to kind of entail. Uh, We'll kind of end a little bit more on a somber note. Uh, Ben, you had this story two days ago, so that was on Tuesday uh, this week, about how Oklahoma City is commemorating the 25th anniversary of the downtown bombing there that anybody – who was around in the 90s, I think we remember that happening. Um, you know, sometimes we talk about bringing out people to the ballpark and trying to get them there with bobbleheads and things like that. This is looking back at something that was very big in that community and trying to remember it in an appropriate way. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I got in touch with the team and talked to them a little bit before they announced this officially on Tuesday. Um, of course, I remember the Oklahoma City bombing. Um, I'm a little older than you guys. I was in high school at the time. Um, but, you know, it's this sort of thing that, you know, I hadn't thought of specifically for a long time. So this article was interesting to really look back at that event and realize um, just how huge it was, you know, and, and still to this day, you know, fortunately, it's the largest uh domestic terror attack in uh, in uh, in United States history. I mean, I only say fortunately because there hasn't been a bigger one since then. But I mean, just such a, a devastating, horrible event, uh, 168 deaths. Uh, there was a daycare center, uh, you know, on the ground floor of the Alfred P. Murrah building, which was, uh, you know, t- took the, the 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 bulk of the damage. The truck that exploded was uh, right outside of that building. Um, you know, 19 kids lost their lives. And so if you're from Oklahoma City and, you know, the Oklahoma City Dodgers, obviously they play in Oklahoma City. I mean, this is an event that, I mean, yes, things change with time, but, you know, that is still an event that has never lost its prominence in the city. So when you're coming up on a significant uh, anniversary, you have to, you know, find a way to commemorate that. And so the team announced a lot of things. Um, You know, obviously it's not a number that anyone wears, but they are retiring the number 168 at the ballpark. Um, You know, that'll be on an outfield wall pad, Um, you know, uh, commemorating the number of people who lost their lives. The team has a rookie league, a youth league that they run in conjunction with the with Oklahoma City, uh, the city itself. And that league is retiring the number 19 to recognize the number of children who were lost. Um, you know, the team's going to be wearing a patch uh, all season long, commemorating the 25th anniversary. Um, all these, uh, you know, numerical based tributes, 168, 19, uh, the number 25 for the anniversary. Uh, they all feature the Oklahoma City uh, tree. This is an elm tree that survived the blast and is now a part of the Oklahoma City Memorial. Um, you know that that is a really moving uh, memorial that I visited the one time I was in Oklahoma City, quite a few number number of years ago uh, in 2012. But um, you know this tree is is become a, a symbol of uh, you know surviving and still growing and thriving in the wake of a, an unspeakable tragedy. Uh, the team partnered with the Oklahoma City Memorial Museum to put this promotion together. Uh, you know, there's a lot of other elements, and a lot of it is. I talked to the director of the museum, Kerry Watkins. I talked to Michael Burns, who's the Oklahoma City Dodgers president. And you know, as much as this is about remembrance, it's also about looking forward, and um, you know, trying to think positively, you know, as, as in moving forward as well. So it kind of has this dual thing of uh, looking at the past, but also trying to capture the spirit of Oklahoma City in the wake of the bombing, uh, you know, when people came together, you know, when tragedy so huge hits and you put aside all your petty differences and, uh, you know, move forward with productive conversations. So there's things uh, along those lines. The team is doing 25 acts of kindness throughout the year. And, um, but, you know, the focal point of it uh, at the ballpark is April 18th, 19th. Uh, April 19th is the actual anniversary of the bombing. But they're having a first responders weekend uh, to to honor, you know, Oklahoma City first responders. 
responders who obviously had to uh, – you know, dealt with, I'm sure, unspeakable things in the wake of that bombing. Uh, one of the guests, and I'm looking at this is maybe a separate story down the line, is a man named Steve Peters, who is uh, an Oklahoma City native, who went on to pitch, uh, you know, in the major leagues with the Cardinals for a little bit. Uh, but he played his final season in 1991 as a member of the Oklahoma City 89ers. That was the team's name at the time. Then he retired. Stayed in Oklahoma City, became an Oklahoma City firefighter, and was their first responder on the morning of the bombings. So, uh, in terms of this combination, you know, recognizing this event at the ballpark, you have an Oklahoma City native who actually played for the team, who then was a first responder. And I'm sure, you know, his story is a unique one, and uh, that might be one to explore later. Benjamin Hills on Twitter at Ben's Biz, and uh, you can find all of his stuff. Uh, apologies uh, at milb.com/slash/fans/slash/Ben'sBiz, and. Um, yeah, we're uh, what are we now? Seven-ish weeks away, I guess, from opening day. So this is—it's kind of crunch time because this is where the the promo schedule goes from. Like, all right, here's concepts that we have to this stuff sort of needs to be nailed down for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, new promos are coming out every day, uh, and by mid-March they'll all be out. And uh, you know that also allows me to maybe start making my travel plans. Uh, you know, nailing that down as well. Once I kind of know all the promo schedules and if there's anything that really might be good to prioritize travel wise so uh yeah it's all coming together so you can find all of ben's stuff up at the site at milb.com and uh ben we will talk to you next week i look forward to it Final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show. Uh, we are, like we said, seven-ish weeks away from the start of the minor league baseball season, and um, Sam is closing in on. When do you leave for Florida again? I think we talked about this last week, but I already forgot. Yeah, I, I haven't. Uh, I should have the dates right in front of me, and I don't. Uh, <laughs> I, I will be. My first day of actual camp will be March 9th. Okay. So that's okay. that's coming up real Man. quick. Yeah, that's that is sooner than you realize. Although yeah. it's a leap year, so you know, <laughs> it <laughs> you is. That, that, that is true. There's one extra day between us now. Oh man, I'll be uh, I'll be in Phoenix starting on March 15th. So uh, yeah, we will have crossover coverage at least for uh, I would imagine a couple of days. While yeah. We are at uh, camps all across the Grapefruit and Cactus leagues, and um, yeah, it's uh, this is a fun time of year. March is always insane, but it's a fun time of year. I'm excited for it. No, it'll be great to to get down there and uh, you know have our own twit picks, as it were, as we exactly. Exactly, and we all tie it back together. <laughs> For uh, Sam Dykstra, as well as Benjamin Hill and Simeon Woods Richardson, our biggest thanks to those guys for joining the show. My name is Tyler Vaughn. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week.